Welcome to episode 100 of George's Random Astronomical Object. Yes, this podcast series has reached 100 episodes, which means that I get to use my applause sound effects. This is a bigger achievement than reaching 91 episodes, although not as big as reaching 107 episodes. Anyway, in each and every episode, I run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes the object so interesting to astronomers. So, I will now run the random number generator. Nine, two, eight, two. The coordinates from the random number generator are four hours, forty-one minutes, zero point zero seconds right ascension, and plus twenty-five degrees, fifty-two minutes. Zero seconds declination. These coordinates point to the Taurus molecular cloud, which is more or less what it sounds like. It's a cloud made of molecular gas, mostly molecular hydrogen, in the constellation Taurus. Well, that was simple. Thanks for listening. Okay, okay, I'll actually do a complete episode on the Taurus molecular cloud. First of all, the cloud is not constrained to just the constellation Taurus. Part of it falls within the constellation Auriga, and you might encounter references to it as the Taurus-Auriga complex, or something like that. Second, the object was not originally known as the Taurus molecular cloud. Instead, it had previously been referred to as the Taurus Dark Cloud, because it was first identified as a series of dark, wispy, cloud-like nebulae in the sky. The reason the cloud looks dark is in part because it also contains a lot of interstellar dust that obscures the starlight from both stars within the cloud and stars behind the cloud, and in part because the hydrogen gas and other molecules in the cloud do not emit very much light in the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum. The cloud also doesn't contain any really big, really bright stars that are going to illuminate the gas within the cloud in the same way that, for example, really big and really bright blue stars illuminate the Orion Nebula. Dark clouds were generally only discovered with the development of astrophotography. E. E. Bernard was a notable pioneer in the field of astrophotography at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th centuries, and he wrote multiple papers about these objects that included discussions about whether they could be holes in the sky or whether they could be interstellar clouds. Bernard also compiled a catalog of these dark clouds that included parts of what are now known to be the Taurus molecular cloud. Eventually, people figured out that things like the dark clouds in Taurus were regions containing interstellar gas and dust. Quite honestly, it's kind of freaky to think about holes in the Milky Way that are completely devoid of stars, and I think this is why a lot of astronomers other than E.E. E. Bernard thought that these things were actually clouds in space. 
However, that was only the beginning of the deep and lengthy studies into the Taurus molecular cloud. In the 1940s, Alfred Joy at Mount Wilson Observatory defined a class of variable stars called T. Tauri stars, which were named after the star T. Tauri because what could be more confusing than naming a class of objects after one of the objects in that class, other than having a last name that is a three-letter word for an emotion? Anyway, Alfred Joy had defined T. Tauri stars as varying irregularly in brightness as having specific types of spectra similar to the sun's, as having relatively low brightnesses, and as being associated, quote, with dark or bright nebulosity, unquote, which meant that the stars were surrounded by their own small clouds of gas. What was rather noteworthy was that Alfred Joy found many T. Tauri stars, including T. Tauri itself, within the Taurus molecular cloud, and he concluded that these stars tended to be associated with dark clouds. Since Alfred Joy's discovery, we have now learned that T. Tauri stars are actually stars that are still in the process of forming. They are surrounded by disks of gas and dust that are either falling into the stars or that are forming planets around the stars. The variability in the brightnesses from these stars is related to a combination of instabilities in the disks of gas falling into the stars, flares on the stellar surfaces, and huge sunspots that appear and then disappear as these stars rotate. I will talk more about these stars later, but for now, back to the cloud. While astronomers in the 1940s knew that the Taurus molecular cloud, which just to remind you was being called the Taurus dark cloud, contained lots of interstellar dust and lots of T. Tauri stars, they would need to wait until the 1960s to detect the molecular gas within the cloud. Molecules in the interstellar medium are generally difficult to detect in the visible part of the electromagnetic spectrum, but they do emit lots of emission with wavelengths ranging from a fraction of a millimeter to multiple centimeters in size. The centimeter-sized radiation is usually referred to as radio emission, but the shorter wavelength radiation is called millimeter or submillimeter emission, depending on whether the wavelength is shorter or longer than the millimeter. To detect this emission from interstellar molecular gas efficiently, astronomers needed to develop the radio telescope receivers to do this, and that would not be done until the 1960s. However, just to make astronomy even more challenging than it needs to be, the hydrogen molecule itself does not emit much emission at all for reasons involving quantum mechanics. Consequently, if astronomers want to find interstellar molecular gas, they have to look for virtually any other molecule other than the hydrogen molecule. In the Taurus molecular cloud, as far as I can tell, the first molecule detected in the cloud was the hydroxyl radical, which has the chemical equation OH. Yes, one oxygen atom joined to one hydrogen atom. That doesn't seem like a thing that would be stable on the Earth's surface, at least in the non-ionized state, but it is common in interstellar molecular gas, and it was detected in the Taurus molecular cloud in 1967 by Carl Hylas, which was a landmark achievement at the time. However, if you ask most professional astronomers these days what they think is the easiest molecule to detect in space, 
Most of them will tell you that it's carbon monoxide, or CO. This molecule emits at relatively high frequencies, or very short wavelengths. So it wasn't until the 1980s that people began to map the carbon monoxide in the Taurus molecular cloud. Once people started mapping the actual molecules in the Taurus molecular cloud, they discovered that, first of all, it looks rather filamentary, and second, it's big, as in it covers a really big area of the sky. With a size of roughly 120 light years, it's not necessarily a physically large object in terms of things in our Milky Way, but since it's located at a distance of about 460 light years, or about 140 parsecs, it looks really large, as seen from Earth. It doesn't have well-defined edges, but it more or less has a length of about 15 degrees. That's roughly half the width of the constellation Taurus itself. For reference, the Moon, as seen from Earth, is half a degree in diameter, so it would be possible to place 30 moons across the nebula. Another way to think of the size of the cloud would be how large it looks as projected onto the Earth's surface, something that I normally discuss towards the end of a typical podcast episode. The center of the Taurus molecular cloud would cover an area that includes most of the southern half of Pakistan, as well as parts of the states of Rajasthan and Gujarat in India, and parts of southern Afghanistan. For reference, the coordinates used in this episode, which came from the Simbad Astronomical Database, point to an off-center location within the cloud that corresponds to the desert in Rajasthan. It's also worth pointing out that carbon monoxide and hydroxyl are not the only molecules that people have found in the Taurus molecular cloud. I found quite a few references describing the detections of many other molecules. Some of them are relatively simple things that you might have lying around your home, like ammonia. Some are relatively simple but weird, like sulfur monoxide or diazonilium, which is a molecular ion consisting of two nitrogen and one hydrogen atoms, or thioxoethanilidine, which consists of two carbon atoms and a sulfur atom and which also has a name that I may not have pronounced correctly, but that I am certain no one ever says out loud. However, some really weird and really complex molecules with even more difficult-to-pronounce names have also been found in the Taurus molecular cloud, such as deuterated cyanodiacetylene or ethnobutotrienilidine both of which are so complicated that I am not going to attempt to describe their chemical equations in this podcast. The Taurus molecular cloud is also recognized as containing lots of newly formed stars, and very specifically, stars that are roughly the size of the sun or smaller. The cloud is basically a giant reservoir of raw material for forming new stars which is why it would be the first place to go if you want to find lots of these young stars or lots of smaller clouds called prestellar cores that have not yet begun to form into stars. I found one very recent paper that identified 532 individual stars and protostellar objects within the Taurus molecular cloud. Many of those objects are famous, too, and I could create individual podcast episodes on a couple dozen of them. One object that I will recommend looking up online is H.L. Tauri. In 2014, 
the Adakam a large millimeter slash submillimeter array, or ALMA, created a submillimeter image of the dust surrounding this protostar and found a series of concentric rings, which were most likely created by protoplanetary objects forming within the disk. Anyway, I'm going to end this episode here in part because the amount of information available about the Taurus molecular cloud is about as large as the cloud itself. The one key thing to remember about the Taurus molecular cloud is that it's a cloud made of molecular gas, mostly molecular hydrogen, in the constellation Taurus. The website for this podcast is www.randomastronomicalobject.com. You can visit the website to download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those astronomical objects, look up additional reference information, and send me random feedback. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is Immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de and the sound effects are from the Freesound Project at www.freesound.org. Thanks for listening.